are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. guys today. Uh, I know we wish that this could be a physical reunion of God's people together, but we're not just physical creatures, we're spiritual beings. And wherever we're at, my prayer is that you are connected by spirit to one another as the body of Christ as we celebrate this joyous resurrection day. So we'll be in Matthew 27 and into the first part of Matthew 28 today, so feel free to go ahead and get your Bibles out, whether those are digital or printed and move to that chapter. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Uh, We will be doing communion um, towards the end of this service, so make sure that you have your elements ready. Just a few things as a reminder to you of who we are and what we're about here. We say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. We strive to do that through four values, by practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than what makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring our lives to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to live uh, for, and that's who we want to become. Uh, Just a few announcements to go over on this Easter. Just uh, if you know somebody who's in need in this time that we have come together as a group of churches in Wells County, to bring assistance to people in need, and so they can just simply text that number. You can feel free to share that with anybody who might be in need, and whether it be groceries or supplies or prayers or other things that, that they might need in this time. And just a reminder to you guys, just on how you can continue to tithe and be faithful, there is a link on our website that you can go to to give, and it's pretty easy. You can do that there. Well, let's go ahead and get into our Bibles today. We'll be in Matthew 27, as I said. We're going to read from verse 62 in Matthew 27 all the way through verse 10 in Matthew 28. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Least his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath... Towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he has said, 
Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going, going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He is risen. Death no longer has a hold on us. The world has redemption. Christ is victorious. He is alive. And we take great joy today in joining with millions of other people around the world in this hopeful proclamation that the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. I spoke to Nurwa, our missionary, our church builder in Liberia, and he is proclaiming the truth of Christ in his home as his country is on lockdown. He can't even leave his house. And so we are overwhelmed with the fact that there are millions of people, even though we're not in presence of each other, millions of people in their homes today proclaiming that he is risen, united in our faith. And obviously we are, as I've said, celebrating God's glorious victory, his resurrection in much a, a different manner than we would like to. There's nothing more that I would like to do than to be with you in presence to worship our King. But I know that there are a few introverts out there who are quietly saying to themselves, best Easter ever. And so just know that we love you and we want to be with you soon. You know, the pandemic has afforded many of us, not all of us, a little extra margin, maybe a little extra time with our families, uh, a little bit more sleep. And we hold those things with great joy as we realize and, and recognize that there is hardship and tragedy that is taking place in other parts of this world. You know, a member of our congregation is Jill Gerber. She's serving with Samaritan's Purse in New York, and she would tell you that this is desperately, desperately difficult right now. And so we can celebrate the margin that God gives us here, but we can be prayerful for those who are being affected. And I don't know if you've been like I have. I've been trying to keep up on this news. Everything is coming at us so quickly. I've never seen news change so quickly in the, as it has in this season. There's an avalanche of news that literally comes to us daily. And I'm doing the best I can to stay on top of it and to stay and remain as balanced as I can in it. I know that is difficult for all of us, but I find it important to remind ourselves like we serve a, a, a God that is not a God of conspiracy or fear, but a God that willingly gave his life up at the conspiracy of earthly people. It would be better for us to live and die as creatures of the kingdom, full of hope and faith and love and mercy, than to fight and win a battle on a fallen, broken, conquered world by the means of sin through rivalry and pride and hatred. We are a people with great conviction, but we have a different seasoning. We have a different flavor than this world. And so as I have prepared for this message this week, I have noticed a few articles that have centered around faith inside of this current pandemic. 
And the titles of those articles have have really piqued my curiosity. The Associated Press wrote an article that said, In a test of faith, Christians mark Good Friday in isolation. The Dallas Morning Journal wrote how Dallas religious leaders are keeping the faith despite coronavirus-induced social distancing. There's a subtle undertone here that I don't know if you noticed, but really sparks my curiosity. Certainly, these are difficult days, and certainly we as a people of faith have found ourselves outside of our normal rhythms of worship and community. And we as leaders have had to become creative in how we reach out and care for our people. But the question that is raised up inside of me as I read this article is this. Was it ever a doubt that we would make do? Was it really ever in doubt that we would find a way to worship and be in community to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so whether it's deliberate or not, I don't know. But these articles are written in a lens that sees religion as a function of one's earthly existence. Religion would be in the same category in this COVID era as some professional sports team that's long-suffering in a championship drought where we might ask, well, are the fans going to stay with them in this dry period? It's kind of shaky right now. This is really testing their allegiance. And so what seems to be implied is that faith serves us. Faith serves us. And if it's not relevant or important as other things in my life, then it isn't functional. Faith serves me as long as it's beneficial to me. And certainly in this complex time of uncertainty, faith has an appeal. Faith has an appeal when we are living in a world that is uncertain, with problems that are unknown, there is benefit to faith. There is a lady, Janine De Giovanni, she wrote in Vanity Fair an article called Easter in Quarantine on rediscovering faith in the time of coronavirus. And this is what she wrote. She said, I pray for those who are sick and for those who have died. Ordinarily, I'm not a prayerful person. I'm a proud sinner, in fact. But faith is coming back to me in these dark days. Whether or not one is religion, religious in the time of corona, hope is all they have. And so look, I, I, I hope that Jesus moves in Janine's life in a way that she comes to see how glorious and great and mighty he is, that she would be humbled and awed by the character and the nature and the complexity and the, the control of our God. God meets us all in places on our journey that are really awkward at times. I am prayerful in this time of corona that God meets people in weird, difficult, humbled places. We know that he will use these circumstances to bring people to him. And so I'm hopeful for Janine because I know who our God is, and I know how he meets his creation. But the sentiments of this author displays a thought that faith is functional. That faith is functional. The reason that faith is coming back to her is, it because, is because it benefits her in the moment. It provides hope. It benefits me. So my question is, is that faith? Or is that just con- control masquerading by another name? I can't fix it. Let me find an answer. Let me find something to hope. 
Now, let's be honest. Most of us who are listening came to faith by having a function met in our life. Whether it would be a, a need or an emotion or a problem, when we met Jesus, he filled a personal need. When we heard the gospel, so don't hear me say that functional faith isn't fruitful. But what is so heartbreaking is that so many of us stay there. Jesus didn't meet us where we're at so we could stay there. And so this is why in this moment in time, there's this thought of, will this faith survive this pandemic? But at the cross, and what it communicates, and what the joyous statement of He is risen teaches us, is that function, or faith as a function, meaning faith that fills a purpose or fills a task in our life, must become faith as a foundation. Function must become foundation. It can be no other way. Let's consider what we are celebrating this week. Today we are celebrating what was accomplished, the death and the agony of Jesus on the cross and the glory and the joy of what's found in the resurrection. Enormously impactful historical events with wide-sweeping reverberations throughout the course of human history. And let us consider the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, in front of Pontius Pilate, an innocent man accused, God's perfect, blameless, holy son, condemned, guilty of nothing more than being the divine essence and character of God. And as he is accused, Jesus remains silent, not a care about himself, tortured, beaten, spat upon, mocked, hung on a cross to die, buried in a borrowed tomb, no dignity and majesty that shows he is the Son of God, raised by the power of God, and holds in his hands the keys to Hades, defeated Satan, death is no longer a hold on God's people. He's victorious. He is alive. And so in all of that, where do we see Jesus ever seeing himself as primary? Where does Jesus make this about him? Where does Jesus stop to figure out, when will this be beneficial to me? Or is it true, as it always is of Christ, that the person of Christ would be the last thought in the mind of our Savior? That his primary focus and cause was his Father's will, his people, creation, you and I. That he's the suffering servant because he precisely did not serve himself. He served us. And so how could the most undeniably selfless act in the course of human history ever become a function that serves my selfish nature? How is it possible that the death and the resurrection that is so self-denying, so self-sacrificing, could bend to serve my self-seeking disposition. And the reason that is possible is because of our condition. We, humanity, have a disease. We have a selfish heart that bends to make things serve us, to please us, we have chosen our wisdom over God's wisdom. And we have been plagued with that since the beginning of creation. We see Adam and Eve making a selfish decision, not a decision that's based upon delight in the Father. Sin has entered the world, death, 
entered the world, creation is broken, but inside of that brokenness, inside that selfish world, the word records that there still is a piece of eternity in our hearts, meaning this, we know what it was like to be full. We know what it was like to be satisfied. We know contentment. We know where it came from. It comes from our Father, our Creator. And because of that fracture and because of sin, because we lack a full relationship with God as we were designed to be, to be in, we are desperately trying to find things to fill that void where contentment and satisfaction and fullness once reigned. We are self-seeking pleasure seekers. But the problem is, is nothing on this earth satisfies but we are blinded by our own wisdom and our own hearts to ever come to that conclusion. So listen, Jesus wasn't risen to rescue us from COVID-19, nor any other circumstance or fear in your life. He came here to rescue you from you. He came here to rescue me from my heart that makes everything about me, that moral, intellectual, emotional part of me, that ugly, self-seeking part of me that you and I both know. We say this all the time, and maybe R.C. Sproul's was the first to say it, we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. And that means it's not our choices that make us sinners. We sin because it's innate. We default to choosing our own self over God. And anytime we do that, it's sin. It's a falling short of God. It's a rejection of his design, the way he made us. And it's not sin because God is some tyrannical dictator that just wants control. It's sin because it falls short of the flourishing wisdom and design that God has made for his people to live by. And so here's what I've prayed for us to come to see better today. Faith doesn't serve us. Christ served us. Faith doesn't serve us. Christ served us completely, irrevocably, fully. Christ served us. Faith is an admission it's a conviction of my own insufficiency and brokenness and a declaration of God's supremacy. Faith is a response to just seeing how fully Christ has served me and the only thing that I want to do is live my life for Him. So let us remind ourselves today of how glorious the resurrection of Christ is and how fully it has served us that hope and comfort and joy are not products of having the right function, but having the right foundation. And so two verbs that I want us to remember as we look at the resurrection, two verbs that are important for us to remember. One is that we are raised in the resurrection and we are held by the resurrection you know, as we celebrated a, a few days ago, we celebrated the Good Friday. And what we were celebrating was the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. He died a death that we deserve to die. He took our penalty. He took on our sin. And by faith, by belief, by trust, when he died, we died. It's the only way to be ridden of the control of our, home, our human sinful hearts and the only way that that is possible, as the Bible says, is to be born again. What Jesus says to the Pharisee named Nicodemus, he says to us, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
And so we die to a life that is controlled and focused on self and sin. Christ deals with the consequences of that life. And we are raised, as Christ is raised from the grave, we are raised into new life. And not better life. Not more beneficial life. But life. Life itself. Paul writes this in Colossians. He wrote this in AD 60. And the truth that is in here is as important and good as it was 1940 years ago. Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life. Now notice, there's no qualitative descriptive noun. There's no adjective in front of that. Your life. He's it. Life. Then you will also appear with him in glory. And so he's raised me. Not to seek the things that I've already died for. But to seek the things that are above. His death has afforded me grace, unmerited favor, and his resurrection brings to me new life. Not to seek the things that I once did that proved to be unsatisfying, but to seek the things that are above. Now, does that mean that I'm not going to put on my old self and my old ways from time? No, that doesn't mean that. It just means that I have the ability to choose something else every single day of my life. Christ affords that. I am hidden in Christ. I don't have to be a slave to myself. I don't have to be a slave to sin. I've been raised with him. My righteousness is his righteousness. His perfection is my perfection. It allows me the ability to pursue something other than myself without condemnation, without guilt, and without punishment that I can be something other than myself, namely God. But the only way that we are raised But not only are we raised through Christ to new life. In being raised, it comes with the admission that I was never able in my own effort to do anything that would ever please God. Even in my best efforts, I could not please God. It's only His begotten Son of Christ in whom God is well pleased. And so if I'm hidden in Christ, it means this. I don't only have Christ righteousness. I don't only have Christ's perfection. I am delighted in by the God of the cosmos. I have a love that is given to me that's unshakable, unbreakable, and unconditional. And so he raises me out of the darkness of sin. He raises me from disobedience, out of the hands of Satan's, and then he holds me. He holds me. He keeps me. He makes me his own because it's to God's glory that his people look like him. It is to his fame that we look like his son. So as new creations with new life in Christ, in his perfection, in his righteousness, delighted in by my Father, God is able through the Spirit to begin the process of moving us from sinner to our real identity, saint. It's called to be sanctified. Paul writes it this way in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 5. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he who called you is faithful, and he will do it. He 
will do it. God has incentive to make you look like himself. He wants to bring the world to himself. He loves you, and he wants to use you. The word says that we are agents of reconciliation, telling the world that there is peace between God and man through Christ. And so God sends his spirit in order that we, he would begin and carry out the process of us looking more like Jesus. And he will do it. He will complete the work that he began in us, a spirit that is only given to us as we are raised into new life. So the resurrection of Jesus raises us to new life. We can be born again, and he holds us by his spirit that is enabled by grace through faith. And so hear me. Jesus didn't die. He wasn't raised. He didn't raise us. He isn't holding us to settle for mere functionality, for being needed when it's beneficial, for helping me attain my best life now. That would be like somebody bailing you out of jail, buying you property, building you a house, bringing you a car, and it costs you nothing, and you having the audacity to say to them, I was kind of hoping for shiplap. Faith isn't functional. It doesn't serve us. Christ served us. Faith is a humble response to hearing and seeing the work of our servant Christ and being humbled and awed to the place that I realize I I need it. And it's trusting in that. It's foundational. And if faith is my foundation that my life is built upon, my worldview is built upon, there is no storm, there is no disease, there is no sickness, there is no circumstance or economic instability that can take that from me. There is no test to that. It's who I am. The commandments that are spoken by Jesus as the greatest were love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And the second like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what will be necessary to follow that wisdom is to die to self. To not live for self, but to die for self. Our greatest need isn't hope. It's the grace to see how aimless and destructive our lives are when guided by our own wisdom and our own heart. Jesus proves he's everything he said he was when he raised from the grave. He appeared to 500 people. And so we, as Jesus commands, live in light of his beauty, in light of his atonement, in light of his victory, where he crushed the head of the serpent of Satan. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live through Christ. We have all the grace and all the love and all the delight in God to become true image bearers of God. We live for God. Jesus makes it that we can live for God because it's no longer about effort. He raises us. He holds us. It's about faith in that. Trust in that. Grace through the resurrection allows me to live hidden in Christ that I might daily die to self and live for Christ. Not because I could ever earn it, but I am so thoroughly awed by the magnitude and love 
and grace given to me. You know, if we ever had the opportunity to be present, you know, if you were present in these things that we say we believe in today, if we were in the world around the scene when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, if we saw his body on the cross, spat and mocked on, we saw the empty tomb, we saw the body of the resurrected Jesus, I think that the very last thing that would be on our mind would be myself. Glory to Jesus. He is risen. And he has conquered our enemy, our sin, death. He is victorious. And in his victory, we have life. And so today we come together to remember what that means. To remember his death on the cross as we reflect on his resurrection. And to do that, we're going to come around the communion table. We're going to come around the table where we celebrate through the juice or or whatever you have in front of you and, and, and the bread or whatever you have in front of you, what Jesus Christ did for us. And so just remember this, it's not as important what is in the cup as what the cup means. And it's not as important about what the bread is, but what the bread represents. And so if you have your elements, let's read these scriptures and remind ourselves of how Jesus instructed this time. If we go to Luke chapter 22. It says this. For I tell you, and when the hour, I'll go. (laughs) And he took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's take of the bread and eat it as we remember the broken body of Christ on the cross. And then he said, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cup is the blood of Christ poured out for our sins. And we take it in remembrance of that sacrifice. Let's take some time and pray. Lord Jesus, with hearts full, uh, we shout with joy that the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. You did not lie. You did not exaggerate. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Death is done. Satan is crushed. Hopelessness is out of work. Despair is sent packing. Condemnation has been condemned. And brokenness is becoming unbroken. Father, because you've been raised from the dead, preaching the gospel is not useless. It's essential. Faith in you is not function but foundation. We are no longer encased in our sins. We are clothed in your righteousness. Because you have been raised from the dead, we are 
the least to be pitied and more to be grateful than anybody. Everything has changed and everything is changing. You are the first fruits and guarantee of a whole new order, the new creation, a kingdom of redemption and restoration. The decay in our earthly bodies will give way to the delights in our resurrected bodies. Hard stories will be redeemed. Tears will be wiped away. Jesus, your death is the death of deaths, and your resurrection is the resurrection of all things. In light of these great hopes, and because this gospel is true, Lord, free us from the pettiness and the emptiness of simply living for ourselves. May your compelling love propel us to live for you, for you died for us and have been raised for us. And so today we shout even louder that the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Would you sing this last song with us?
after crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. of faith that we as a church have been saying for over 1500 years the Apostle Creed a creed that we studied and that creed reminds us that we have a faith that has been tested and proved true it has survived pestilence and death and destruction and famine and disease and wars and in it we believe and know without a shadow of a doubt that God holds his people and so this is what we profess as belief, and we profess this for a long time. This is what we are anchored in. This is where our foundation begins. Will you say, with, say this with me at home? We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy, universal Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. 
Well, God bless you all, and may God grant you margin and peace in this celebration. We love you and hope to see you soon.